you think, um, I mean, it sounds like, you know, having that underground experience might have provided you with some, some incredible insights beyond the papers you read. Do you think uh, to some aspect, if you had traveled to some other emerging markets, like for example, Pakistan or, or let me say China or you know, all these other like big countries, do you think it might have provided you with some insights that might have, you know, maybe, you know, shake the paper a different what, way? What do you think? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I'd say so. Um, Mexico is what we have the opportunity to, to visit, is where we have the opportunity to visit. And so we immediately seize that opportunity. If, if we had the opportunity to visit you know, 30 more countries, I, I would be on those planes, um, you know, interacting with you know, large scale, small scale businesses. And just, I think that that would have enriched um, our, our views, uh, added some more meat to the bones that we had written on paper, we had read on paper um, for sure, because you know, the, that, that human interaction, that human perspective and the history that comes with human experience that, that could be shared, you know, that's invaluable. Um, and, and so yeah. I think that that would have enriched this paper even more. And who knows? I mean, it, I've, I, have con- I have weighed the idea of building on this paper um, and, you know, coming, doing some even, do, like, you know, doing some further analysis. And so I will definitely entertain the opportunity to um, interact with with um, business owners and and workers from different countries, and if I have the chance to go to some of these countries, uh, I will certainly take that opportunity. Um, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think the paper um, definitely has. Um, it's a, it's a. I think it's more of like a platform because um, just the indicators provided in the paper and the recommendation that you had um, uh, might would definitely. Uh, uh, you know, provide you with an opportunity to actually build something on it. So I, I completely agree with you on that. And I mean, and just, just to go into um, like the different, if you may, so we've talked about like the countries, but um, I think we haven't talked a lot about the countries providing the mm-hmm. FDI. So we've talked about the countries receiving yeah. the FDI. Uh, what, what was like, um, what, what, what was the difference? And I mean, I mean, in terms of like, do you think the FDIs, based on the time frame that you 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 did mm-hmm. a paper on, uh, has shifted now from twenty sixteen to twenty twenty? And um, yeah, can you just give us like a... you know, um, quite frankly, there's very little I can say on that with with certainty. Just because, well, one, uh, we wouldn't have data on on um, we, we wouldn't have 2020 data now. And I'm not even sure as of yeah. March, we have 2019 data yet. Um, so mm, yeah. at best, maybe 2018 data um, will be yeah. available. And you no, know, we can check this. We're recording now. Had I known, I would have looked, I would have looked this up. <laughs> I have my laptop here. We can, we can look it up, but I'll, 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 yeah, sure. yeah. but um, what yeah. I, we can do another episode. Right. What fine. I can speak on uh, specifically, because I look, and well, before I say that, we this paper yeah. really didn't look at, didn't pay too much attention to FDA outflows, uh, just because yeah. we were looking at the relationship between um, foreign direct investment and um, and um, economic growth. 
So we wanted to see what what the relationship will be on the on the host countries, not on the not on the donor countries, mm -hmm. on the recipient countries. And so mm -hmm. uh, we didn't do a lot of work, quite frankly, uh, looking at how much is going out in investment. But you, generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, roughly, uh, for many countries, our um, inflows, many emerging countries inflows exceed um outflows by far um that that, tend, that, that yeah. kind of what the trend we saw with the countries we looked at um except for yeah. except for one country and what would you guess that country to be i would take um yes china uh, yes <laughs> without a doubt in fact in the uh the, the table i think on page seven of the paper that uh yes. shows you it shows a, it's a very very stark picture i it, it, it blew exactly. it blew our mind so much that we had to put it in the paper. Yes. So back in two thousand and seven, yes. you know, this is just ten years before the end of the period. Um, two thousand and seven, yes. um, FDI inflows into China was were about one hundred and fifty six billion US dollars. Um, this was in two thousand and seven. Yes. Um, in by twenty sixteen, FDI inflows into China had ticked up a bit to about 10 years later, it gone up to $170 billion. So just a slight tick of about, you know, $14 billion yeah. increase over 10 years. When you look at the FDI outflows, so how much China was investing out of China into other countries, yeah. into the, in the same, at the yeah. beginning of the same period, 2007, FDI outflows from China yeah. was worth 17 billion US dollars, one seven. So, compared to 156 they were receiving in the same year. Yeah. But by the end of the decade, by 2016, that outflow had jumped from $17 billion to $217 billion. I mean, that's just, that's yeah. mind blowing. You know, that's, that's several, several, several times how much was going out 10 years before. Um, and, and you also noted that in 2016, by 2016, FDI outflows from China were, were exceeding the inflows by, by quite, a, quite a lot, by about 30, 47 billion dollars um, on an annual basis. Yes. So you know this, that was that was really mind blowing, and that's that's kind of one that's one yes. of, that's a one of a kind trend shift. Uh, there are not a lot of um, Chinas out there, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. No, actually, I, I, I came through this page, but also why, and I had to uh, grasp this, but and you, for some reason, that table had some essence to why you included mm -hmm. it on the paper. And uh, I actually agree. I think, I mean, China is at this point, in, at this time frame, it's like, you know, there was like a flip, um, I mean, uh, a 10, 10 mm -hmm. years difference, ten, about, nine, about years, ten, nine years difference. Uh, from, from, yeah, from the beginning of 20, 2007 to the end of 2016. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, I think, I think that's, that's just, as you said, you know, it's just, it's very, it's, it's incredible. Um, and just, just kind of for us to kind of be winding down, like, so I, I know you make the case mm -hmm. for each continent and it's pretty, it's pretty evident on the paper based on your findings of, you know, some of what you found um, on each continent. But what, I mean, we saw this China uh, table mm -hmm. for the case of Asia, like very, that stood out. What other indicators in the paper, and I know some of it is in the regression analysis that you did that kind of just like you were right. surprised um, by it as well. Uh, when you, if I'll, I'll go to Africa because Africa is home and you know, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I was yes. hoping. That was what I was hoping. <laughs> I do want to say it. When you look at the case for Africa, yeah. we had, I think we had about seven countries for Africa. We had Egypt, Ghana, Morocco, uh, Namibia, Nigeria, South Africa, and Zambia. These, these were the emerging, emerging countries that, emerging economies that we saw across the African countries that we thought, for two reasons, again, one, mm-hmm. uh, they have seen, or they have demonstrated um, sustainable growth year over year. Um, no matter how small, it's been pretty stable growth. Um, and also that the date that there was readily available data going back to the period that we wanted, which was from 1987 to 2016, representing 30 years. And so that's kind of how we came, we came upon these seven countries. But that said, there were, no, there are other African countries that certainly, certainly, especially in recent times, um, have exhibited tremendous, tremendous economic improvement that just did, we didn't, we just didn't study those countries for one reason or another, um, such as just in the uh, unavailability of, of reliable data. Um, but some of those countries were Ethiopia, Ivory Coast, Senegal, and Tanzania. Um, and Quads actually wrote a paper in 20, uh, wrote an article in 2018 about these, these countries. Um, we don't talk about this in the paper, but Rwanda in the last few years has, you know, has shown tremendous leadership across the continent, uh, leading yeah. economic growth, um, leading in, you know, just demonstrating really solid political leadership and stability. So I think that um, there are countries out there and if you're an investor, you should take a look at these. There are some of p- the purpose of papers like this is not, it's really to highlight also opportunities that are there Um uh, in, in in many parts of the world, including the African continent, um, and to help you make an informed decision because um, um, part of the problem yeah. investing in emerging economies is just the unavailability of data. Um, exactly. Um, but, so, yeah, so um, with, the, with the seven countries, I, I wouldn't run through the entire table uh, just because... Uh, no one's gonna. No one's really gonna yeah. remember that <laughs> yeah. uh, unless you unless you physically. No, 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 you but like I, I point out Namibia, for instance, and um, yeah. if you look at Namibia between 1987, sorry, yeah, 1987 and 2016, yeah. the percentage change in foreign direct investment was over 88,000 percent. Yeah, that was crazy. So eighty-eight thousand percent, almost ninety thousand percent. I mean, that's just a number that I don't think I've ever set before. Ninety thousand percent. But uh, to be fair, some of those numbers are just because a lot of these countries had little to no foreign direct investment um, back in nineteen eighty-seven. So, if say, for instance. You had a country that an entire country and foreign direct investment back in 1987 was $10,000, right? If that number increases to a million dollars, for instance, right? You know, then how many times has that increased? You know, that's a million, a million dollars divided by $10,000. And and so that, that kind of throws that, that percentage change up, up there. Um, and I yep. think that's the case for a lot of these African countries. It's a good sign. It means that over the years, over the decades, um, foreign institutions, foreign uh, governments have started to slowly recognize opportunities in in African countries that show potential and are putting some of that capital in, this, in these businesses in these countries. 
So that's good. And there's certainly a lot more opportunity to explore. Um, so yeah, like I said, about 90,000% change in foreign direct investment. But then if you look at the same country and look at the change in percentage change in uh, its GDP, over 30 years, it's only 138%. So despite a spike in, in foreign direct investment, there's not a corresponding spike in, uh, in GDP. And that could be due to many different factors. One of those could be that um, one, uh, foreign direct investment or GDP is not being accounted for as properly as it should. But even beyond that, it could be that foreign direct investment does not account for as much of the country's GDP as, as you would expect. It might be a small port, small uh, percentage of their, their, their GDP. And so the impact, no matter how big, is ultimately small. Um, so, um, yeah. yeah. But that's kind of what this paper that's wanted to see. Well, if there's a change in, G in the FDI, is there a, is there a corresponding change in, in GDP? Or is is FDI inflow and increase in FDI particularly good for these countries, for these uh, emerging economies? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, in your home country as well, Ghana too, I, I, I yes. saw the FDI was exactly. actually- 35,000% change yeah. in FDI. Um, yeah. And then change in GDP is, is about 300%. Um, so again, and, and, and again, if you it, it, intuitively, that kind of makes sense. If you think of Ghana, for instance, FDI is great, but you know, FDI is not the backbone of the economy. Um, for a long time, for several yeah. decades, and certainly throughout my upbringing, and even to this day, the backbone of, this, of Ghana's economy has, has been the, the, the single um, sector backbone has been agriculture. Um, and a lot of the agriculture in, in these places like Ghana is subsistence. And so it's really small scale farm, maybe a family that, that runs, the, runs the farm, owns the farm, produces, sells, um, probably the government buys or some other agency buys the produce, the produce. Um, and that's how it's been. And then maybe services, services industry. So um, if, if you have a country where foreign direct investment only accounts for just 2% or 1% of the economy uh, of GDP, um, then even if FDA increases by 5,000%, you know, that 2% can only grow so much to make an impact on overall GDP. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I think, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's quite a, a very um, kind of explicit um, analysis of what you actually wrote in the paper. And I think that's, that's a very uh, logical argument to be made in case in point. Um, and, and I know in your, in your conclusion, you kind of wrote like the GDP. Um, I mean, it's something I, I kind of read a line that you wrote. You said our analysis also reveals that although F FDI tends to mimic economic growth, it is not distinctively the determinant, determinant of GDP. And it's difficult to establish a casual relationship. Can you just kind of, extrapolate on that because I think maybe I can give um, a sense of how you conclude. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, when we came to this conclusion, when we, we kind of were coming to this conclusion, it was initially a little disappointing because we were hoping to be able to say, yeah. yes, there is a strong relationship or no, there is no <laughs> relationship at all. You know, kind of like to, to punch to finish the paper and 
we didn't quite have that punch. <laughs> so, so that was a little disappointing. <laughs> and I remember talk, we talked with Lauren about it, um, sort of when we we're wrapping up our, our findings. And it, it actually was not a bad, turned out not to be a bad thing. Um, it just meant that there was not a causal relationship. And by causal relationship, I mean that we couldn't establish from our analysis that FDI caused economic growth by <laughs> as measured by GDP. So um, we, what we did see was quite some correlation. And if you look at the charts in the, in the, for the different continents, you'll see that yes. um, roughly FDI and GDP tend to, um, you know, they, they, they trend in the same direction, roughly speaking, except for a few um, unusual times, like during the, um, the financial crisis, 07, 08, 09. Um, but yes. otherwise, they tend to move in the same um, direction. Right. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, with exactly. that, we did see it from the data. But what we could, like I said, what we couldn't conclude on was whether FDI was um, uh, or um, uh, increases or decreases in FDI were indicative yeah. of economic performance in these, these emerging economies. And so that's what that when we say when we say um, uh, that it was that FDA was not distinctively a determinant of GDP. Um, that's what we mean. <clears throat> and so we were unable to establish a, a, yeah. you know, a cause and effect relationship from, from the, between the two factors. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, in your, I mean, to be fair as well, I mean, you actually explicitly put that in and in your recommendations as well, you actually gave, you know, some, uh, um, you know, other methods to get a fair, uh, to kind of get a more like a more solid uh, uh, results in some degree, or like you know more kind of quantitative analysis. So I mean, it's very fair that your recommendation actually listed that out. And I mean, one line that I kind of stood out for me was that um, I mean, it's just a first very first database so following our data analysis and engagement of other scholarly work on this topic the authors have the following conditions and i mean you can't really say that you know um no we encourage we uh you know uh if they're influencing the country how it depends on the whole yeah. government reputation you know yeah and i think that for that that fact alone uh showcases that there's a lot of uh this you, you can't really find mm -hmm. some no one's data that can help you justify or reject your hypothesis. So, I mean, that was, that was very interesting. And I think there was some other interesting recommendation that you provided moving forward. Um, but I mean, I think your recommendation actually provide, uh, minimizes the element of uncertainty right. on what you listed out uh, and move, kind of give an indicator that there'll mm -hmm. be more papers that can be written, um, uh, more study that can be done. So. And I, I know for a fact that you know most of these uh, as quality papers, the conclusion doesn't have to be <laughs> like a punch, because I mean that might that might seem like oh they they kind of came to a conclusion before they actually did the paper. So I think that's fair. I think it's fair for what you did. But um, anything you want to say in terms of recommendation? And I know you said you want to, uh, you you have the some inclination of working on this paper for for the book. I, I think it would be a great be a great idea yeah uh, just, you know, just a few thoughts uh one just also because you touched on this and so i'd like to go back to it you um one thing we touch on in the paper is you know the, the, 
uh, regard again regarding um, the causality of of um, FDI on economic growth, and you you tend to see from the data that the countries that have a strong or a positive trend on um, economic growth, so the GDP tends to trend higher and higher year over year. They also tend to see a a an upward trend in FDI. Um, and, and it makes you do it, yeah. you know, gets you thinking is the relationship reverse. That is, um, do countries that have a stronger economy attract more FDI and it's a bit of both, uh, exactly. it's sort of a cycle. So if you have a country that's, you know, yeah. has a strong reputation as an economy, um, investors. Mm-hmm tend to find that as a stable environment, an attractive place to invest. And so what happens eventually is that they, you know, they put money, it's viewed as less risky. And so they put more capital into those mm-hmm. safer bets, those safer invest, in, um, the safer opportunities. And so what ends up happening is that that creates jobs um, that, and that increases productivity. And when productivity increases in the country that drives GDP again, and so then, and as GDP gets driven up, yes. investors find it more attractive, and so they can come back and put more capital in there. Versus, if you have a country that's not doing very well economically, um, no one wants to take the, make the move to invest. Um, and when no one makes the move, jobs are not created on the same scale. Um, productivity is not boosted as it can be, and so no one wants to invest. The economy doesn't thrive, and when the economy doesn't thrive very well comparatively, then no, even people don't want to invest even further. So then the cycle perpetuates. Um, and I, I think that when that happens, you know, the world misses out on certain unique opportunities that could be uh, capitalized on because of the lack of um, reliable, um, because of the lack of awareness. Um, and I think that data can help yeah. highlight that. Uh, or sort of help um, ease those ten- those fears if if proper research is done and there's a better understanding of the situations on, to- on the ground in some of these countries um, then investors know what they're getting into they know the unique risk country risks that they may face and what the um, investment opportunities are and how to mitigate some of the challenges that come come with investing in these places and as as we overcome these challenges one at a time um, economic growth will improve in yeah. these um, lagging countries. And then as economic growth improves, these countries yeah. then become more attractive and then more investors can, um, you know, sort of be drawn to these countries to, to, to put capital to work in these places. And that benefits everybody because then investors, there's more certainty, more stability. So investors can generate um, more um, sustainable return and uh, jobs are created for the people in these countries. Um, the economy thrives, and everybody does better. Uh, that that sounds like a utopia, but it's it's yeah. actually attainable. Um, and I think that <laughs> yeah. um, one yeah. role to play there is just transparency and data. So that brings me to um, recommendations. Um, and you realize that the recommendation section of the paper yeah. is really really short because we just go straight to the point and see what yeah. we think. Um, could be helpful. Yeah. 
and um, also because that was just not the focus of the paper particularly. The focus of the paper was to explore the relationship between FDI and economic growth. Uh, but one recommendation is that um, FDI or you know, foreign businesses entering countries, like I mentioned with the South Korean company in Mexico, has been shown in a, has been shown through research not to be a threat to you know, a real threat to uh, domestic businesses, especially for small scale businesses, um, unless you're seeing a um, you know a dramatic um, takeover sort of, um, and I wouldn't name any companies here, but. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I can't afford expensive lawyers. So. Um, but unless you're seeing a very, very dramatic penetration of, um, you know, very, very potent companies or institutions into countries that just cannot compete against these, because there are companies that, you know, generate revenues well above even an entire country's um, output per year so gdp so um unless you're seeing a lot of that in the country it's been shown and one there's a paper by telly in 2013 that shows that um, um particularly for retailers um the the entrance of foreign businesses and foreign investment into local countries like india um it's actually not a threat at all to yeah. local businesses so there is that and so we can and so everyone you know, that should help alleviate some of the fears around allowing, you know, into um, international business in, in countries. And then the other thing that I talk about, this is specifically for countries in Africa, um, the needs to, Africa could really benefit from um, a few things, technological infrastructure uh, to facilitate the flow of information, but also the yes. flow of goods and services um, and, and people. Um, I think that that's yes. sort of a bottleneck in in African countries. And so, um, again, there's a paper I yes. referenced that um, I you know I don't want to I don't want to digress digress sorry, um, but yeah, not sure. Uh, yeah, so just technological framework and just and political stability are things that uh, make a country more attractive for foreign investment. Um, because no, no one likes political instability and uncertainty. Um, investors certainly don't like that. Uh, and so those are some of the recommendations yes. that African um, leaders, but also really leaders of many, a lot of any of these emerging economies, um, if they really want to encourage foreign business and um, foreign investment, they, you know, want to sort of... Um, Like kind of built on like trying to be transparent, help you know exactly provide a climate that. for political democracy exactly and fairness and exactly ne- lack of exactly nepotism that. and all that. Um, yeah, I mean uh, this is quite an incredible paper. I mean, <laughs> I'm I know I'm being biased because um, uh, <laughs> but but I, I I definitely think uh, the the listeners will be able to um, uh, you know be able to see. Uh, you know, after listening to this podcast, but also uh, when they read the paper as well and see how um, uh, vi- invaluable the the 
the content of the paper is especially uh, at uh, such times as this where emerging markets seem very favorable for investments as you as you pointed clearly and you know uh, but uh, on the caveat that you know the political climate has to be improved uh, significantly um, um, you know there have to be some technological investment that will help uh, mitigate some of the uh, uh, lack of you know um, um, you know, uh, like just the, the the reaching out to customers fairly, you know, providing opportunities mm-hmm. to uh, non-consumption markets and stuff like that. But also the infrastructure development that you clearly mentioned that can help improve intra-trade within African countries, but also within the countries, right? So um, I, I do think uh, this is this is really fascinating. I, I actually, you know, uh, really like the fact that this was the first episode because. Um, it's very academic, but at the same time, it has a lot of applicable uh, references as well as conclusions and recommendations that listeners will see, uh, will actually see the value of your paper, but also how emerging markets or emerging economies are, are quite attractive for investment, but as well as uh, entrepreneurial opportunities. So, um, yeah, I also wanted to say thank you, thank you thanks, for uh, thanks so this, much. this unique opportunity. So, like I said at the beginning, yes. this is my first podcast experience uh i'm really eager to hear what my voice sounds like <laughs> um but no uh, beyond that, I think that this is You'd be great, man. this is a beautiful opportunity to sort of have conversations that, that um you know really matter um beyond the classroom uh, and so yes. uh, thank you for putting this together and i'm i'm really excited for for where for where this podcast goes um and now i'm excited to be to have been the first guest on this podcast no definitely thank you so much man and i would look forward to having you working more on this on this paper or something related to this as well i think it'd be great to have you back at some point to to talk about what have what you have learned so far what you have done so far Absolutely. In thank you very paper. much so, thank you so much uh, yeah. And thanks, everyone. Uh, Kevin Richardson, uh, uh, a Master's of Science in Finance at Babson College. Um, many other attributes that uh, we don't have time to, to mention, but he's uh, such a great guy. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll have other guests coming up in the following episodes. Please follow up the episode. Uh, the podcast is called um, Time for Emerging Markets, and we look forward to thank having you. you in the next episode. Thanks again, Kevin.